This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to episode number 458 of IAQ Radio. It's Friday, May 5th. 2017, and this week we welcome Ed Light to discuss the AIHA white paper on VOCs. We're calling it an enlightening white paper on VOCs, and it really is. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. It looks like the Z-Man's having a little trouble uh, dialing in, so we're going to have to do the uh, trivia question whenever he gets on so i'm going to go ahead and start and get ed light introduced here we're calling today's topic enlightening new aiha white white paper on voc criteria for new construction and we've got ed light joining us ed is a certified industrial hygienist in the dc area he has degrees in environmental science from the university of massachusetts and a master's from marshall He's a senior fellow of the American Industrial Hygiene Association, and he has authored over 40 scientific publications on assessment and control of indoor environments, also chaired several national scientific committees. Back in the 80s, he started the West Virginia Department of Health's Indoor Air Quality Program, pioneering efforts to resolve exposure issues related to formaldehyde, asbestos, and termiticides. In the 90s, He developed widely used protocols for addressing indoor environmental quality complaints. They were published by EPA, NIOSH, and ISIAC, and Managing of Air Quality in Occupied Buildings Under Construction by SMACNA, the Sheet Metal and Air Conditioning Contractors. Uh, Ed, uh, welcome to the show. I understand you've got some original music for us for your intro. Working on a building, it's a green building. I'm working on a building for my lease, for my lease. I'm working on a building, it's a green building. But it's a wet building for my lease. I got those green building blues. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Ed. That was great. Uh, I always enjoy having you. I forgot to mention in your bio, you're also a musician with a band. Play some banjo, a little guitar, sing a little bit. So, thought uh, that's great to have you back. Uh, welcome back, Ed. 
good to be here. Let me, you know, you sent out an email earlier, I think it was earlier this week, about a new AIHA white paper, and it's on volatile organic compounds, VOCs, the criteria for new construction. And um, I I just find it really a fascinating paper, and it kind of confirms some things I've been hearing over the years from people like you and others. But before we get into that, where where did this come from? Why did I, AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, decide to do a paper on this topic? Yeah, this, this initiated uh, from the construction committee of AIHA that, that I'm a member of. And the construction committee not only looks at worker health and safety, but also other environmental issues relating to construction and so we took note of the fact that uh, under green building and lead programs industrial hygienists are now out uh, testing new construction uh, for uh, VOCs with a set of standards uh, on VOCs which determine whether or not uh, that new building or renovated building complies with LEED and gets qualified as a green building, and they're widely implied or assumed to be healthy, good IAQ buildings if they pass these tests. Uh, We noted that uh, even beyond the issue of uh, construction standards, that uh, VOCs are being widely tested for indoor air quality uh, without accepted standards, and there are assumptions out there that the various guideline values are indeed uh, health standards and are meaningful to test for. So uh, this white paper not only reviewed uh, the effectiveness and alternatives of testing new construction, but also we think for the first time actually took a professional toxicological look at the, these indoor air quality numbers that are floating around that uh, both uh, practitioners and researchers who are testing the air are comparing to their numbers and determining if the building is healthy or not. And the result after four years of work and some debate and controversy uh, is this white paper, which has been approved by the AIHA board and is now a, uh, an approved AIHA document a policy and white paper study of VOC standards. And I'm, I'm, I was surprised to see that, well, I'm, I'm not shocked, but, you know, I understand why the USGBC put that requirement for VOC testing in the LEED program. What I was a little surprised by was that ASHRAE had it in their 189.1 standard um, for, for um, I guess that's the energy you know, that's the that's the green building standard. How do you think it got into there um, with knowing what you know about the fact that it, you know, it's really probably not standing on a whole lot with respect to research? I got a couple highlights from this VOC criteria for new construction paper here that I've, I've been looking at pretty carefully. And um, we, we know that these you know, low levels of organic compounds, they're ubiquitous in both indoor and outdoor air from both natural and man-made sources. And we also know that over the years, the levels of VOCs in building products have been coming down. The big focus 
in the 80s, I guess it would be maybe, actually Ed worked on this in the 80s, was formaldehyde. And there's been great progress made in reducing the amount of formaldehyde in building products that are, you know, being installed in new buildings. And what I was leading to with Ed there was trying to get some idea of how how does this stuff get by? You know, they, they come out with a white paper that essentially shows that um, there, there's very little evidence for these standards to be in the lead green building program and also in the ASHRAE standard. Uh, in fact, they, they came out with the following. I'll give you some of the major um, findings, I guess you could be, or conclusions. They said that VO sampling, of course, does not evaluate overall indoor air quality. That of course, is something that I think we can all agree on. The second finding was VOC sampling is not an effective screening tool for materials emissions, which I think that's maybe a little surprising to some people. We'll get Ed's thoughts on that in just a moment. The third is that VOC sampling is not predictive of occupant health effects. VOC sampling strategies for new construction are not representative of long-term occupant exposures. Five alternative IAQ strategies for new construction should be considered. And six, VOC sampling can be useful in resolving indoor air quality issues following a general assessment. So why don't we just go back down that list, Ed, and get your comments on each of those six conclusions from this particular document. Number one, VOC sampling does not evaluate overall indoor air quality. I think, you know, I don't think that one's going to have much of a, uh, much kickback with respect to people saying, oh no, that's, you know, just not the case. But go ahead and elaborate on that just a little if you would. Well, uh, it, it's obvious that indoor air quality is a whole variety of factors and, uh, some of these factors are important and critical in causing problems in, in buildings. It's, it's very site-specific. And what has happened with the lead testing and the other green building qualifications is all of a sudden they're falling back on just chemical standards, VOC testing, and that, that is their IEQ assessment of new buildings and renovated buildings. And so in our review by AIHA, uh, we uh, point out the other extremely important factors that, uh, you know, affect uh, the health and comfort of occupants. Uh, the number one problem we, it, we see in our practice, and my consulting group evaluates lots of new construction. We're very involved in construction as well as indoor air quality assessments, moisture-related is currently by far the biggest cause of building failures and IAQ complaints. Uh, this is not assessed at all under the green building assessment. In fact, it's it's hardly covered at all by LEED in terms of uh, their uh, you know performance type standards. Uh, and of course, the function of the HVAC system, the sanitation of the building, uh, you know the. So just testing VOCs absolutely does not take into account uh, the, most of the factors affecting IAQ. And the other thing we have reviewed in the AIHA paper 
is the diminishing importance of VOCs as far as sources of indoor air quality complaints. Now, when I started out in this field uh, 30 years ago, new buildings really stunk. The odors were high. It was very irritating, uh, even to non-sensitive people like me. And uh, over this period of time, uh, the great improvement in building materials, you can hardly smell at all at the completion of most construction due to the low emissions and uh, in the tracking that, that at least we do of, in, of occupant complaints, VOCs and, and odors are a pretty rare type of complaint now. Moisture-related stuff, HVAC-related stuff is really common. Uh, so in focusing on VOC testing to assess construction, we're not assessing overall IQ or health at all. Ed, let's let's step back a moment. If you could quickly just review doing a lead indoor air quality credit check. What what do you look at with respect to the building? So our uh, approach to an IQ assessment is essentially what I co-authored back almost 30 years ago in the EPA NIOSH Building Air Quality Manual, uh, which emphasizes a uh, detailed inspection, review of systems, history of the building, and uh, interviews with occupants and building operators. And what we focus on first are general conditions and indicators uh, as far as odors, comfort, sanitation, uh, functioning of systems in the building, uh, and uh, we uh, do a close look at moisture evaluation uh, buildings. That's really where a lot of the problems in the action is. Uh, so our initial tests will will do general observations, indicators, moisture evaluation, and then the the investigation assessment will take off from there, going into more detail and possibly even sampling as particular issues become important for that, that building. So the second point of this document with respect to the conclusions was that VOC sampling is not an effective screening tool for materials emissions. And um, I think Ed did a good job of covering the first point that obviously VOC sampling is not an indoor air quality assessment. That's that, like I said, you know that that goes pretty much without saying. But this second one, I think, is something that maybe people would would find a little more controversial. And essentially, what they're saying, I'm going to go straight to the second point. The majority of VOCs in indoor air originate from non-construction and the new non-construction sources and new construction VOC criteria do not target compounds related to indoor air quality. And in the paper, in the, in the body of the paper, they went into a little more detail on <clears throat> what types of VOCs are found on indoor air quality investigations that are not a part of this VOC screening that is commonly done for new buildings for a lead credit or uh, for the ASHRAE standard 189. So I think um, that is an area that we're going to talk in a little more detail with Ed on. The, the third point under that topic is 
Green building specifications are generally effective in controlling VOCs through limits on product emission and ventilation requirements. VOC sampling has not been shown to provide additional benefits in terms of improved indoor air quality. And they, they point out that it adds to the project cost and can delay occupancy without producing useful data. So, interesting points. All right. The third conclusion was that VOC sampling is not predictive of occupant health effects. And, and the one exclusion they have in here, they say that, you know, VOCs are ubiquitous in indoor air, may affect occupant health when present in elevated concentrations. But then formaldehyde is unique among VOCs in that studies are available demonstrating clinically observable symptoms of typical indoor air quality concentrations. And that's something I know Ed's worked a lot on in the past. And um, he actually created some programs back in West Virginia and dealt a lot with formaldehyde. Those levels have come down significantly, unless, of course, you bought some uh, lumber liquidator uh, product that had the higher formaldehyde levels. But even those, I don't think, were as high as what we saw back in the 80s. And um, I think that's one of the reasons I, AIHA came to these conclusions. You know, maybe it's not so much that these standards were wrong all along, but as time has gone on and the products have gotten better with lower VOCs, the construction techniques have gotten better, and the flush out has gotten better. Um, and, and there's Ed. Let's get Ed back on. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you great. Can you hear me? I think so. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll give it a try. All right, Ed. I was going through um, the second conclusion here. VOC sampling is not an effective screening tool for materials emissions. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, yes, the, the assumption has been that uh, the prescribed sampling under the VOC uh, will tell you whether or not the materials you've used in your building are environmentally found and meeting their criteria for low emissions. Uh, what we have found is all kinds of things besides uh, building materials. So when you're just collecting the sample, you're picking up VOCs from outside air, from all kinds of other sources. You're picking up temporary odors from building materials that are very short-term and are uh, really fading out at the end of construction so the occupants aren't going to even be exposed. And uh, because of that, uh, for example, uh, with the uh, lead testing, uh, uh, many buildings are passing the, the criteria, uh, and some of those that we've evaluated have actually had serious IAT problems afterwards. On the other hand, it's fairly common on the lead test uh, to fail the, the uh, criteria, for example, with total VOC, and that there is not a problem at all with the building materials. It's, you know, the total VOCs are affected by many other sources, uh, and it's highly variable, and uh, this really does not affect the, reflect the long-term indoor air quality. Uh, so while the intention is to, to take VOC samples of the ambient air, you're not 
uh, coming to conclusions on building materials. And, and uh, but actually, we uh, have found very helpful and support the low emitting standards for the materials themselves. That is an accurate way to determine if the, uh, the materials actually are low emitting. And most importantly, the uh, uh, good ventilation requirements, uh, you know, prescribing ASHRAE levels of ventilation, are very good for uh, uh, providing uh, reasonable VOC levels when the, the materials meet the emission standards. Ed, when, when you were uh, calling back in, I, I wondered aloud to listeners if maybe it's not so much this these uh, VOC sampling requirements were never that, I don't know, good, you know, or that, that uh, valuable, and that maybe over time they've become less valuable because of the fact that we're having lower emitting products put into buildings. Do, would you agree with that? Uh, oh, not at all. The, uh, the whole concept of assessing new construction by testing VOCs uh, was never validated or developed scientifically. The, uh, if you look through LEED, we were unable to find very specific rationale or any scientific documentation at all backing up this approach or the individual criteria they're using as being meaningful to emissions uh, of materials or to health, uh, they were basically, uh, as far as I can tell, adopted by generalist architects, green building advocates, uh, who are not necessarily knowledgeable about uh, indoor environmental science, and they kind of came to the assumption, and I'm guessing here, that you know chemicals are bad, synthetic chemicals uh, must be bad, and uh, they adopted some list of industrial chemicals of concern to the state of California and made them an indoor air quality testing list. Uh, and in fact, from the beginning, uh, they never looked at the, uh, the specificity of the chemicals they picked. Our white paper reviewed this. We found that uh, a good half of the lead testing chemicals, there are 30 plus chemicals VOCs to test for, aren't even found in indoor air. And then uh, another quarter of those uh, VOCs were found occasionally at very trace levels, just way under any level of concern in indoor air. And then when we actually look at the research, recent research papers on what VOCs are now present and emitted by construction in new buildings, most of those VOCs aren't even on the list, and there's just no correlation at all with this VOC testing program. There, there really never was. Uh, 25 years ago, VOCs were a huge uh, exposure, health, and complaint source in new buildings. Uh, over the last 10 years, the improvements in materials manufacturing has greatly diminished this problem. Ed, let's let's talk about one specific area, and that's formaldehyde. Under the third uh, conclusion, they say that VOC sampling is not predictive of occupant health effects. But then, 
Within that, they say they're ubiquitous in indoor air, may affect occupant health when present in elevated concentrations. But formaldehyde is unique among VOCs in that studies are available demonstrating clinically observable symptoms at typical IAQ concentrations. You've got a lot of experience over the years with formaldehyde levels in buildings. Give listeners some idea of of where they were back in the 80s and where we are today, and if you think maybe we should still consider evaluating formaldehyde emissions in new buildings. Well, just to give you a little of my background, I started in indoor air quality in 1982, West Virginia Health Department, and my first assignment, I had a pile of complaint forms on my desk from uh, mobile home trailer occupants that said they were getting sick and they, we didn't know what was going on. So my first uh, research and practice area was in uh, formaldehyde exposure. And at that time, we found that the types of pressed wood products being used were very high emitting formaldehyde. We found, uh, and I was working with medical doctors and health officers uh, and nurses, we found correlations uh, between uh, symptoms in many individuals and the levels of formaldehyde. And that program went on to encourage uh, industry to come up with better manufacturing techniques. And now uh, the levels of formaldehyde measured in most buildings and homes are way below our level of concern. Uh, The fact that they're above California risk assessment levels is uh, something we uh, really debate in our white paper. Uh, Now, as far as VOC health effects, a very important finding we have is that formaldehyde is actually unique among all the VOCs in that it's really the only VOC that we have studied and documented symptoms and dose-response risk levels at the levels that occur with IAQ. We know all kinds of stuff about industrial levels of other VOCs, but for formaldehyde, we present the data that show, uh, for example, over uh, 100 parts per billion, uh, there are increasing symptoms in, in, in occupants. And we don't discount that in extremely hypersensitive individuals, lower levels, could affect them, uh, but uh, for other VOCs and formaldehyde, all these criteria and concern levels are all theoretical. They have not been documented or backed up by any, any specific science. And what we'd like to do here is we're going to break for halftime, thank our sponsors, and we'll be back in 90 seconds with our guest, Ed Light, and Lightning white paper on VOC criteria for new construction. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. 
Particles Plus. Engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them. WolfSense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are... John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Ed Light calling in. And, Ed, um, I'm going over the conclusions here from the uh, Volatile Organic Compounds Criteria for New Construction, white paper by AIHA. And the, the fourth one is VOC sampling strategies for new construction. Construction, I think it's a typo, are not representative of long-term occupant exposure. Can you talk just a little bit about that one? Uh, yeah, the uh, testing of uh, IEC testing in buildings uh, is very often snapshot samples as is conditions, which is not informative at all about what you really want to know, uh, you know, to determine if, if there are health or annoyance impacts of IEQ. Uh, you want to know uh, averages, long-term averages, and most importantly, you want to know uh, peak levels at critical conditions. And those are the uh, measurements which may correlate if there is, is a health issue. And for lead sampling, you're basically coming in, uh, collecting some samples under as-is conditions, at a time when construction is com uh, is finishing up uh, before the occupants are in there. And uh, for those measurements to not in any way reflect an average or a critical or peak condition, and uh, then based on our knowledge and data of uh, construction material emissions, uh, we find that at the end of construction, uh, the emissions are very rapidly depleting and uh, being reduced. And uh, so the measurements you get uh, at the end of construction uh, are likely to be substantially higher than after the people actually move in. And then a significant effect that we suspect is that towards the end of construction, all of a sudden the construction people come back and they're doing punch-out work. And that punch-out work is often putting VOCs back in there, you know, spot painting and gluing and cutting stuff. And uh, ideally, on paper, VOC sampling is supposed to be at the, when all that stuff is done. In reality, punch-out work's going on in buildings to the very end and even after the occupants are in there. So, again, your, your measurements are going to get very temporary effects of this work, not the long-term exposures to the occupant, 
And that long-term exposure, these emissions rapidly decline uh, after installation. So uh, the basic sampling strategy is arbitrary and does not reflect the, you know, the critical exposures that we need to know for health and annoyance. And within that section, it, it says a... Um and, and earlier you had mentioned that, that actually we're often, oftentimes not even measuring the VOCs that do cause indoor air quality complaints. Which ones are being missed during this type of uh, pre-construction or after post-construction sampling? There, uh, each, each situation is different. In most indoor air quality situations, there is a mixture of very low concentrations uh, of VOCs and that, in fact, none of them are critically important uh, to uh, health risk determination. And occasionally there can be some VOC generated by occupants or maintenance or construction, uh, and that may or may not be on the list. And, of course, that changes depending on the building and the situation and the activity. Uh, so it's not like a different list of VOCs would be better. In fact, it's my understanding that uh, Green Building Council and some industrial hygienists working with them now are saying, you know, well, if we could just get a better list and better numbers, we're going to solve the problem. And that, in fact, the... Uh, the presentation of the white paper is that the whole concept of picking out some individual VOCs and then making conclusions on overall VOC exposure and overall health and IAQ just simply doesn't work. Uh, the concept is a mixture of very low concentration. And then our toxicology section of this paper uh, points out that expert review panels have determined that at these very low IAQ levels, there really is not a cumulative toxicology effect, uh, that in fact the, the effects of the mixture are determined by the individual compounds, most of which have never been tested and are probably way below health effects. Uh, so there, there are a lot of assumptions that individual VOCs, if we get the compounds right and the numbers right, we'll understand what's going on. But this white paper argues against that. Now, in uh, very unique special circumstances, there may be a, uh, a special formaldehyde problem. There could be a problem with another VOC that's being misused in construction or used by the occupants. And in that case, you have to figure out what that VOC is to do a very uh, site-specific sampling strategy that will actually measure the conditions you want to know. And coming in with a broadcast screening, arbitrary samples of 30 VOCs, it's not going to get you that. And I've got a, a text question that kind of relates to where where you just were in that, you know, oftentimes there are other products brought in uh, during the punch list and so on but the question here is what do you think of fragrance free policies such as the one in effect at all CDC Center for Disease Control buildings to reduce occupant VOC exposure well that uh, that certainly is an important factor in fact uh, for occupied buildings 
The focus of green, green building evaluation is the shell of the building. What, what's the construction emitting? Now, in our IAT studies of occupied buildings, in fact, uh, for VOC exposure, in most circumstances, most buildings, actually the occupant uh, of cosmetics and then the various sprays and fragrances and deodorizers are often uh, the most significant and sometimes the most problematic DOCs in the air. Uh, we uh, uh, just completed an IQ evaluation of a, a federal building with many complaints and uh, many odor complaints that were being blamed on the building and building systems were, were actually the... Uh, uh, the particular employees who were just wearing gross amounts of perfume and then spraying or automatically releasing fragrances and deodorizers around the bathrooms. Uh, and these, these are actually the, the primary odors in that building and the primary VOCs we were expecting. So, yeah, that's important, but not for construction-associated VOCs or occupants. Okay, and then... The last two conclusions are that alternative IAQ assessment strategies for new construction should be considered and that um, VOC sampling can be useful in resolving IAQ issues following a general assessment, which you, you talked about earlier. But let's talk about the solution here. Alternative IAQ assessment strategies for new construction should be considered. Do you know if they are being considered right now, or have you had feedback after this paper came out from the U.S. Green Building Council or ASHRAE or anyone else that um, may be looking at changing the way they look at new construction? Well, this white paper is hot off the press in the last few weeks, so I don't know if anybody's read it, they certainly haven't reacted to it yet. Uh, uh, there are very few formal protocols out there for assessing new construction. Uh, uh, and in, in our particular practice uh, for my company, when we're evaluating new construction, uh, we follow a general assessment, which includes a close inspection for moisture, sanitation, odor evaluation, and uh, then a, a detailed engineering uh, evaluation of performance of systems. Uh, basically, HVAC properly commissioned and working right is hugely important. Also, reviewing the materials and their documentation that came into the building to make sure that uh, they uh, basically met the low emitting standards. It's that type of general evaluation we think will be meaningful in that it will pass buildings that. Uh, uh, have uh, basically healthy IT as far as the construction and hopefully catch buildings with problems so they can be identified and resolved. How do you build that into uh, a standard like the lead the lead guidelines for for um, you know green buildings? I mean, do you think that's something? And and I guess the second question is the approach that you described would that be uh, cost comparable to the approach that's currently being taken? 
It would probably be cheaper. The the labor and laboratory costs for all these lead samples is really significant. While the data is not conclusive in getting us anywhere, uh, it's a significant cost to uh, the, the contractor or the building owner. Somebody's paying for all this. Uh, and actually, lead does not take into account assessing other IAQs. However, uh, there is also a separate national green building standard for residential, for home builders. And I actually, I was on the committee that developed this, and it's very interesting. Uh, this contrasts completely with the LEED system and the other green building systems. First of all, uh, we rejected POC testing as an assessment tool. And second of all, uh, uh, as far as moisture evaluation, it includes an assessment of moisture sources and uh, documenting lack of dampness at the end of construction. Uh, and basically, it calls for a good general building inspection at the end of construction. And uh, this was uh, developed by committees of, of homeowners and the in public organizations. It's been adopted, actually, in National Green Building Standard Residential by both ICC and ASHRAE. So there is a complete model for assessing IQ based on general approach, uh, and this has simply never been considered or, or worked into LEED or the other uh, commercial building green standards. I don't recall all the alphabet sheets. There's three or four of these uh, uh, labels out there. And I've got a text question from a listener. Um, what's your opinion of various lab methods for analyzing VOCs, uh, canisters versus sorbent tubes versus badges? And and did the committee look at that with respect to uh, the, you know, the new construction and um, testing of new construction? Uh, we did not focus on the details uh, of the different sampling and analytical methods other than noting uh, that there are a variety of methods out there and they're non-comparable. And when it gets to the issue of measuring TVOC, there's a variety of non-comparable uh, methods for sampling, for analysis, for interpreting the data. And, uh, in fact, the, uh, the TVOC uh, measurement, the parameter is, as I believe, a very frequently exceeded uh, uh, measurement for the lead sampling, and that effect, this is completely outdated concept that uh, back 30 years ago, researchers were talking about TVOCs and theorizing it had something to do with health, and the same researchers about 15 years ago came back with conclusions uh, that TVOCs uh, are not related to health, that the research is based on non-comparable methods, and the general recommendation of the scientific community is that TVOCs are essentially meaningless, and yet they've become the key parameter in green building investigations. And again, these lead and others, I, I, I don't believe that there is a lot of uh, scientific input into this, and uh, certainly, in the early days, any uh, industrial hygiene or indoor environmental science expertise. 
Uh, and they came up, oh, TVOC number looks good. These chemical California numbers look good. Let's stick them in there. And unfortunately, the practice has become for many industrial hygienists and labs are now going out and running the tests and interpreting them uh, according to the TVOC 300 standard, which is uh, totally discounted in the, in the literature. When you do have a project where you need to evaluate VOCs, um, and I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it just in case for this listener. What What is your preferred method? Uh, to start any IQ project, and if VOCs are suspected in terms of odors or health effects, to do a good general evaluation in history uh, to narrow down indeed what the issues are and uh, what uh, sources and possibly chemical groups we should focus on, what conditions we should measure. And then if measurements are still needed, uh, to come up with a very specific sampling strategy, looking at the, the critical VOCs with the right detection limit, the right conditions, the critical conditions that we're actually going to sample, and uh, then the data may be useful. Uh, but we find that, for example, uh, mystery odor complaints in homes and buildings uh, are following a general uh, approach of the systematic odor checking, source review. Uh, most of the time, we can identify and then make recommendations to resolve these without actually getting the parts per billion and identifying the chemical mixture that's actually involved, if we can find the source, the dynamics, there usually is a very practical solution to that. And we, uh, very often the bottom line is if we don't smell it anymore, we've achieved it. Yeah, we can spend a lot of lab money and, and figure out chemically what we did. And once in a while we do that, it's interesting, but uh, we don't necessarily need to and the client's money on that. Let's, I've got another text, and I'll kind of modify it just a bit. Since, um, What about using a, a PID as a screening tool on indoor air quality investigations? Um, the parts per billion um, PID is the, is the question here, as a screening tool to try and help identify potential IAQ issues. What are your thoughts on that? Well, PID is often misused to determine a concentration and a risk level, uh, the readings on those are totally uninformative as far as exposure and risk and drawing any conclusions on specific VOCs. Uh, however, the PID and related total VOC type measurements are extremely useful in an odor study and finding sources. Uh, for example, in a sewer gas study, it can be more or less used as a geiger counter to uh, hone in on uh, when you have very subtle differences, intermittent sources uh, uh, that can be very useful to help track down where the links, where the sources might be. Uh, and again, you cannot figure out anything as far as risk or exposure from those measurements, but you can uh, find the sources in the links if you use them right. Ed, you, you've also mentioned dampness quite a few times, and I believe you're on the ASHRAE Technical Committee. Is it 1.12? Um, 
on dampness, and and I'm wondering if you could tell us how how do they end up defining dampness? Well, that that is a very basic question that's never been resolved, and our uh, committee is uh, in the midst of working on that. Uh, we have a technical group looking at defining dampness and uh, uh, what they've come up with so far is a draft on uh, building indicators that put them at risk for dampness which could be associated with health effects. Uh, The overall findings from the research uh, are that mold and particularly mold measurements are a very poor indicator of health risk. Dampness in buildings repeatedly shows up as uh, the best indicator of health risk. However, the studies of this and the practice is all over the map, totally non-comparable as far as uh, defining dampness in a building. Uh, this is something I've been working on and our uh, ASHRAE uh, Moisture Committee are, are working on now, and that's a, a, a very important area to be developed. And I know that the um, EPA moisture control guide came out, and uh, it's been out three years now, I guess. Uh, the building guide, I think it is for, it's the moisture control guide. I can't remember the full name of it, but within that, they made what I thought was a pretty significant uh, change in direction or, or recommended a change in direction in that people should kind of not use relative humidity so much and go to dew point as a measurement for trying to figure out if there maybe were moisture issues, vapor-related moisture issues in buildings. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, For condensation and humidity investigations and research, uh, deep point understanding that is very important. For basic screening, uh, humidity is also very useful, but it's good to understand the the inside-outside temperatures, the surface temperatures, and uh, if you're getting into a very detailed understanding of the more complicated condensation and uh, long-term humidity control issues, uh, then dew point and all those associated measurements become very important. Uh, for basic IT screening, for comfort and potential conditions that could grow mold, uh, a first cut, first general step looking at humidity uh, is, is informative. And then again, if you get into more complex uh, issues, uh, more detailed viewpoints, and uh, we're also trying to develop a water activity uh, method, which would be practical in buildings. Right now, it's a good lab method, uh, but there are more detailed ways to look at moisture. The, the big lesson uh, to be learned now, and I, I think is, is really emphasized in that excellent EPA moisture manual, is that investigating, understanding moisture in the building uh, is uh, extremely important to IQ and health assessment, and simply focusing on mold tests or visible mold doesn't tell you what you need to know, and that, that our experience is if you understand the moisture in the building, the, the mold aspect is a subgroup of that. It's obvious when you go through your moisture assessment. 
And if you understand moisture, you know a heck of a lot more and not a software problem where people that come in and just test and look for mold really don't understand that building. Ed, I'm wondering if there are any other, you know, kind of up-and-coming indoor air quality topics that you're either working on projects or um, you're hearing about. What What do you think is the next big thing in indoor air quality? Oh, I don't, I don't know about the next big thing for everybody else, but our uh, company, Building Dynamics, uh, is working on some interesting areas now that uh, uh, we think will develop into bigger practice areas. Uh, so as far as spray foam in- insulation, uh, we're doing some original research, and I've had uh, papers now being published by ASTM, which I believe is the first paper actually looking at misapplied spray foam, assessing and mitigating that. Some very interesting chemistry associated with that that does not occur with the regular good spray foam that's out there. Uh, so we're working on some projects involving misapplied spray foam. Uh, our biggest area of practice is actually in construction moisture control. Uh, at this time, we're working on two large stadium construction projects, and the way stadiums are built, there's all kinds of water infiltration occurring after drywall is in because of the nature of that construction sequence. So those are very challenging projects. Uh, we've also uh, been involved in uh, till water pipe molding insulation, assessment and replacement, and we're right now in the middle of a uh, uh, large uh, group of commercial buildings that have gotten these uh, contaminated ducts, both a lot of debris and mold. And uh, we've uh, completed our assessment. We're working closely with the duct cleaning company to actually verify the techniques and document that this building's going to be cleaned up. Uh, and the approach our company takes, is we only have a few industrial hygienists. Most of our staff is mechanical engineers. We deal with that knowledge. It's really the key to understanding and solving most IT problems. And then when we get into health issues, we partner with health professionals and physicians. Uh, although the, the industrial hygienist is a good uh, generalist to coordinate this work, uh, we fill our approach with engineering and medical expertise. It's really important to understand major and complex IT problems. Ed, always a pleasure. I, I really enjoy talking to you. I want to talk a little offline about a few things, but before we go, is there anything you'd like to add on either the the, the paper, the white paper from AIHA on, on VOCs, uh, criteria for new construction, I'm calling it enlightening, and um, any other topics that we brought up today? No, we're, we're hopeful that uh, organizations dealing with uh, VOCs, with standards and assessment and practice, will actually read this white paper. Uh, it's extensively referenced and, and we think it's the first uh, systematic comprehensive review of the actual science behind uh, DOC uh, in indoor air. And we also look at it and think about their practice and their standards and uh, uh, 
maybe make things more meaningful in the future. Thank you, Ed Light. As always, it's always great to talk to you. We appreciate you joining us. And, and also for the original song. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much again to this week's guest, Ed Light. Uh, of course, to my engineer, John, you got to have faith. And, of course, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening.